0: Hello friends, welcome to another edition of the Different Church Online Sunday Services. My name is Hannah and I am pastor at Different Church. I am so happy that you are here. It is the Sunday after Easter Sunday, but we are still in the Easter season. Most people don't know that Easter is actually longer than just one day. In our circles, we tend to just celebrate Easter Sunday and then we kind of move on with our lives and do other things. But on the liturgical calendar, Easter is actually a season that lasts for seven weeks I know seven weeks so the easter season ends with pentecost where the spirit of god is actually poured out on all of the people etc more on that in a few weeks but because it's still the easter season we still get to talk about resurrection we still get to talk about all kinds of things that are exciting to me so i'm very excited that you all are here remember if you feel comfortable doing so you can join the conversation in the slack channel if you'd like to be part of the slack channel that we have for different church It's basically like a free communication app. You can email hello at diffchurch.com or if you're watching on Facebook, you can comment directly down below. We will be here to interact with you during the service as well. Now I have heard from many of you that the service that we had last Sunday was very meaningful to you because it didn't kind of shy away from the difficult things that we're going through as people, the things we're going through as a country and because we kind of just looked at it straight in the face and saw it for what it was that it kind of gave you a little space for hope. So that really makes me happy. It really makes me feel like we're doing something worthwhile. And I just want you to know that even if you feel even just the tiniest little seed, the tiniest little spark of hope, that's what the resurrection is. Resurrection is most often, as we discussed last week, ordinary and a slow unfolding. And a new mercy every morning. So every morning we're born again with a new opportunity to tend to that tiny little seed of hope in our souls. Now this morning, as we continue our journey through the Easter season, we're going to catch up on some disciples who have seen Jesus alive. And they're now attempting to input that knowledge of seeing Jesus alive into their actual lives. So our passage today is from Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 32. We're going to read that together like we normally do, and then we are just going to dive in. Here is the scripture text for today. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and God's prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead in Hades, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he was died. He died. (laughs) He was died. (laughs) He died and was buried, and his tomb is still there among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God promised with an oath that one of David's descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking to the future. And speaking of the messiah's resurrection he was saying that god would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in hades god raised jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this this is the word of god for the people of god now it's easy that was kind of a lot of words (laughs) especially the part where i stumbled over myself in the middle so maybe you completely lost track of what i was saying (sighs) words have been a challenge this week i'm really not sure why maybe it's like the social isolation and not having conversations with people as much I like, can't seem to form complete sentences, but we're gonna try and get through this anyways. Now, it's easy to get lost in this passage and kind of just be like, okay, Peter's preaching a sermon, because that's what he's doing essentially. He's preaching to a crowd of people that are gathered and he's telling them about Jesus. And that's where we generally leave it. We're like, yep, what a great job Peter is doing. And we skip over something that could be a little bit disturbing. And so we're actually only going to park on one particular verse today, and we'll get to that in a second. But first, at its core, this comes from the book of Acts. Now, Luke is the writer of Acts. Acts is also known as the Acts of the Apostles. So it's basically kind of a narrative about what the disciples, what the apostles did after Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And they were left without Jesus to carry on this work. So... In this passage, the writer is telling us Jesus died, was resurrected, and he's alive. And in order to kind of make this argument that Peter is making, the writer of Acts, Luke, is using a very familiar way of thinking about scripture and about argument and et cetera in Jewish rabbinic circles, and it's called a midrash. Now, midrash is a way of interpreting biblical texts. So it's basically a conversation between a person or persons and and the biblical text, that results in new interpretations, new readings, new understandings of how the scripture can apply to our lives, while still being faithful to the original meaning as well. So it's basically an alive conversation between people and the text of the Bible. And so Luke is using Midrash here. Luke is claiming that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ who is dead and is now alive, and he's using texts from the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, to show that this point is true. And this is where we get the quotes from David in the Old Testament and the Psalms, etc in this passage. So when we take a step back and we look, here we see Peter addressing a crowd of Jews. What can we pull from this if we zoom in a little bit? This is where we're going to (laughs) park for the rest of the day. In verse 23, there's kind of a shocking accusation where Peter says, "Uh, you nailed Jesus to a cross and killed him. So there's this accusation of murder in verse 23 leveled on the Judeans that were gathered there in front of him. Now, let's think through this. Peter is himself a Judean, and he addresses these people who are just like him, and he accuses them of killing and nailing Jesus to a cross, this Messiah that they had all been waiting for, a direct descendant of David, as we see from the argument that follows in the verses after that. Now, that may seem harmless, and perhaps it was not meant to have the effect that it ended up having, but we need to kind of think through it, because first of all, it's a rather inaccurate statement. The Romans were actually the ones who killed Jesus, not the Jews. Now, there were certainly Judeans egging the Romans on at some points, but only some of them, certainly not all of them. Not to mention, Jesus himself is a Jew. All of Jesus' disciples were Jewish. The struggle of the early Christian church was not a struggle between Christians and Jews, as though it's a struggle between two religions. It's actually a struggle inside of Judaism. Christianity as an entity on its own did not exist yet at the time of the earliest Christians, and especially not when this happened. So there were, you can even safely say, there were no Christians when this was written. In the earliest, or even in the earliest communities of followers of Jesus, they simply didn't exist because Christianity didn't exist yet. It was not an entity. There were simply Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, And there were Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So how is this a harmful statement, what Peter said? Because once the church became made up of largely Gentiles, when it expanded out of Israel, out of Jerusalem, and all over the Mediterranean, and the majority of the church became made up of Gentiles, not Jewish persons, this indictment, however true it may have been for some select Jews at the time, that Je- who, who wanted Jesus to die at the time that he was killed, for the rest of them, this paved the way for some massive anti-Semitism. Now, there's racism, there's outright violence for centuries against Jewish people because they were perceived as murderers of Jesus. Now, it may seem like I'm overblowing this a little bit, but here is a concrete example of what this looks like. The phrase Christ killers in reference to Jews was not removed from official Roman Catholic doctrine until 1965 at the Second Vatican Council. So in official church doctrine, Jews are referenced in this negative, horrible way. And of course, the centuries of violence against Jews culminated in the Holocaust, where millions of lives were taken, um, some in my family included, and some of the rhetoric used to justify this violence against Jewish people throughout history, but specifically for the Holocaust, was because there was a perception of Jews as the Christ killers, as the murderers of the Messiah. So why are we focusing on this? (laughs) Because I really think it's important to note passages in the Bible that have been used to do consistent harm to other human beings and address them. Because if we believe that Jesus is alive, that means we have this resurrection hope, then we have to believe that this means more than we're just getting a get out of jail free card. If the resurrection hope, like we talked about last week, can speak in every circumstance, in every injustice, in every horror and pain and grief, then it certainly speaks in and to situations where the words in the Bible itself have been used to perpetrate violence and discrimination against other people, other humans who are just as inherently valuable and as these created beings made by God as everyone else. So if we believe in the resurrection hope, then we will not be afraid to stand up to phrases like this in the Bible and acknowledge the extensive harm that has been done and call it out for the incorrect harmful statement that it is. Now, I know some of you might be feeling really strange right now considering that there's this phrase in the Bible that might be wrong or that has been used so negatively. So just stick with me. Let's try and process this together. Why would it be there and how can we receive it? Peter, who is the speaker in this narrative, he is just a human. Remember, the writers of the Bible, the characters in the Bible are just humans. He is talking to a crowd of Jews, and Luke, who is the writer of Acts, wrote down what he said, or wrote down a paraphrase of what he said. Remember, when we think about why would Peter say something like that, this is fresh off of Jesus' death. It's only a few weeks later. Despite the fact that Jesus is alive now and has ascended into heaven already when this interaction takes place... The pain of watching Jesus die, such a horrific death, and the loss and despair and confusion and hopelessness, all of that is still extremely fresh for all of the disciples and for Peter. The crowd of Jews that Peter is talking to could possibly include some of the Jews who egged the Romans on, who called for Jesus to be killed, but probably not many. Remember that Passover is over at this point because this is a few weeks later. The crowds that flooded Jerusalem and tripled the population of Jerusalem, they've all gone home. They've all gone back to their towns. So to put it plainly, (laughs) Peter is still feeling this devastation of Jesus' death, and he's pretty bitter about it, and he's pretty angry about it, as you would think he would be given the trauma and the loss that he was processing. And he puts the blame squarely where he feels like it belongs, on a crowd of people who have No fault of their own, other than to be exactly the same as he is, a Jew. Because when we think about it, remember that Peter is still likely feeling his own betrayal of Jesus when he denied him three times on the night of his death. Jesus forgiving Peter does not make the pain of that moment go away, and certainly it would not have gone away in a few weeks. Peter is still angry. Of course he is still angry and he makes a completely human statement about what happened. He's angry at himself. He's feeling that loss and he, he knows that he's part of the problem. And so he looks at people who look just like him and he says, you killed Jesus. Now I'm sure he could have had no idea what effect his words would have. And if he had known how his descendants were going to be harmed because of this phrase, how it would have just grown into a life of its own over the next few centuries, he certainly would have taken it back or bit his tongue. But the problem is now this phrase has been preserved in the Bible for thousands of years. So what are we supposed to do with it? How are we supposed to receive Peter's statement? What are we supposed to do? How are we going to live with a Bible that has things in it like this? So the first thing that we should note is that Peter is a human. I know I said that already, but it's a really important point to reiterate. Peter is a human and his human words are preserved in scripture for us to read. That might seem like an issue, but it's really not. It might seem to us like our Bible, our sacred text should be beyond that somehow, that the humanness of the writers of the Bible should have been edited out because it's the word of God. There shouldn't be any humanity in there at all, right? It should be clear and plain, and there never should be any question about what anything means. But that actually doesn't make any sense for our faith. (laughs) It sounds nice when we say it like that, but it doesn't make sense for our faith, because our entire faith is based on this proposition that Jesus was fully God and fully human at the same time. So if Jesus who was God, validated human existence and experience by becoming human himself. Why would it surprise us that there is so clearly humanity shown in our sacred scriptures? We have a human Bible just as much as we have a divine Bible. It's so clear when we read passages like this. And when we think about it, we think, well, why is Jesus here, right? So Jesus came to bear the pain and the sin and the weight of the world for us, with us. And in a similar way, which we don't normally think about it like this, but in a similar way, we can think of our sacred text also bearing the weight and the sin and the pain of the world. Because it is a text that has been forged by both humans and God throughout history, because God is committed to accomplishing God's purposes through humanity. So first, we always have to remember that we have a human Bible just as much as we have a divine Bible, just as Jesus is both God and human. The Bible is both God and human, and those are intertwined. They cannot be separated. The second important thing to remember is that we are actually allowed. (laughs) You get a permission slip, a free pass to argue with the Bible, to participate in Midrash. We are allowed to point out when there are upsetting things inside the Bible. We are allowed to acknowledge the ways that our sacred text has been used to harm people. We are allowed to repent for the ways that our sacred text has been used to harm people and for the words themselves, perhaps. We examine the Bible like this because we respect it enough to do so. Our scriptures are that important to us to interact with them on this deep level, to not stay at the surface and say, yep, that was a great reading on with my day. That was my devotional time, but to actually pause and think how, not just how these words can impact me in this moment, but how have the words in our sacred text impacted the lives of actual people throughout history? Evangelicals actually don't have a super strong foundation for this, (laughs) so if you're a recovering evangelical or you come from that kind of tradition, this may feel really uncomfortable to you. But if you are from a more high church tradition, so like Orthodox, Catholic, um, any of the very liturgical traditions, Lutheran, um, you sometimes will have a much better or a much easier time navigating this, arguing, and interacting with the Bible in this way because your traditions are built more to have a conversation with the Bible than to just take it at its plain value. We could benefit all of us, no matter what tradition we come from, greatly from participating in this Jewish tradition of Midrash, where we can actually take a text, examine it, discuss it, and then together find a way to move forward from it. That preserves our faith, while still acknowledging harm and working to reinterpret harmful readings into life-giving and life-sustaining readings for the future. And I wanted to say that one more time because I really want that to sink in. We can find a way to take a text and then move from the text forward in a way that still preserves our faith without denying the harm that has been done and without preventing and in changing our readings into life-giving readings and life-sustaining readings for the future instead of the harmful readings that have come in the past and the reason that this is so often uncomfortable to us is because we simply just don't have a lot of practice doing it so many of us have had our faith questioned and our commitment to god questioned because we dared to bring up an issue that we saw in scripture or We dared to bring up a personal experience that made a scripture reading or a particular interpretation of scripture, very harmful and devastating to us. So it can be really difficult for us to exist in this space, but it's okay. It's okay to argue with the Bible. It's okay to have this tradition of Midrash where we take something and we move forward from it and still preserve our faith and change a harmful reading into a life giving reading. And of course, the third thing to remember is that this is not the only passage in the Bible that is disturbing. There, It's not the only one that's been used to inflict harm on people, certainly throughout history. There's all kinds of things in the Bible that people may find upsetting, disturbing, um, a little uncomfortable to read. Just off the top of my head, I, there is several. So, For example, the curse of Ham in the Old Testament was used as a justification to enslave Africans by... Americans um, and and used horribly as a justification to enslave actual people. There are texts about women, women in leadership who just have been used to suppress and deny the spirit of God in people throughout hundreds of years. There are actual just stories that are disturbing in the Bible. Um, There are stories of violence against women, both physical and sexual. Those are called texts of terror. Um, they actually have a, when you group them together, they have a name. Um, so there's a lot of things that are beautiful and life affirming and life sustaining in the Bible. And there's also some things that are not so beautiful and life affirming and life sustaining because the Bible is the story of God, but also the story of humans and what a human's doing, <laughs> right? We're trying to understand God. We're trying to understand what God wants. We're getting it wrong, sometimes horribly and spectacularly (laughs) getting it wrong, but then we learn more in the process and we grow in wisdom and we start the cycle over. And that's what the writers of the Bible are doing, right? Just like what we are doing right now. We're spending time here this morning because our faith is important to us, even though at times in our lives we have gotten our faith wrong, sometimes horribly and spectacularly, (laughs) but we've learned in the process and we've grown in wisdom. And we're going to keep doing and we're going to keep growing and we're going to keep growing and we're going to keep growing. And the cycle is just going to go around and around and God will be there for all of us. And you can see this trajectory in the Bible of how we grow in understanding of what and who God is and how God interacts. So what I would love for you to do, if you feel comfortable, is for you to comment below with a passage phrase or text from the Bible that makes you feel a little uncomfortable. Um, or perhaps a passage that has been used to co- cause you harm, to discriminate against you or someone that you love, um, or a passage that you know of that has been used to discriminate against other people. Now, I am not asking you to comment so that we can have a complain fest about how horrible the Bible is, and nor am I asking you to comment so that I can then comment below you and explain in some kind of fancy, mysterious way that the true meaning of the passage is not what you are seeing in it. Sometimes I think the value is actually just being honest with ourselves. So it's not as though we're hiding from God, right? If there's a particular part or parts of the Bible that make us uncomfortable, if there's parts that we skip over when we're reading, if there's parts uh, that come up every year in sermons that we don't like, and they give us one of these, God already knows that. Like we're not hiding anything from God, right? So perhaps, where the healing comes in and where the midrash comes in and where the reinterpretation for a life giving reading of this scripture and where we can preserve our faith is when we stop hiding from each other as well. One thing I will say, and I just want to make this very clear, this is not a space for argument about scripture. Um, I don't think Facebook is ever a good place <laughs> for argument about scripture. Definitely not the comments of something, it's not a good place. Um, person-to-person conversation, telephone calls, perhaps, um, are good for discussing. Uh, lately, Zoom, because <laughs> some kind of meeting, um, and when we're allowed to again, per- in-person conversation is the best way to get through that. I love a good theological debate. Like, I love spending hours discussing stuff that literally does not matter in the Bible. Like. If you find something completely insignificant and you want to talk about it for like two hours, call me. (laughs) I am happy to have a theological argument with you, but that's not what we're trying to do here. What we are not trying to do here is persuade anyone of our viewpoint, right? We're not trying to say, this is what I feel and you also have to feel this way about it. We are actually just having a space to voice our own readings of scripture and a space to not invalidate anyone else's reading not even invalidate our own reading because I'm, I know that there's all that second guessing in our own hearts because I do it all the time as well. I read that and I'm like, well, some people wouldn't interpret it that way. So maybe I shouldn't interpret it that way. Maybe it shouldn't make me uncomfortable, but that is, that's kind of called gaslighting. Like you can't gaslight yourself into not feeling the way that you do about a text. So let me give you an example. If I were to comment below that. The, this phrase in Acts, what Peter said, really bothers me because it's in the Bible to begin with. It wasn't edited out. And because this phrase has been used hundreds, thousands of times throughout the centuries to perpetuate violence and discrimination and racism against Jewish people, of which my family is Jewish, all of my dad's family is Jewish. And so I, there are literal family members in my life who were tortured and murdered in the Holocaust, right? So for me to say that and say, this line in scripture really upsets me that it's there. It's not okay. It's not okay the way it was used. It's not okay the repercussions that happened from it. That's wonderful. But then you can't comment and say, I'm misunderstanding the scripture (laughs) and I just shouldn't feel that way. That's called invalidating another person's experience, right? So that's what we are not going to do what we are doing is creating a space a safe space for people to just be honest about the things in the bible that bother them which generally (laughs) i don't think i've ever been part of a church that asked that question what parts of the bible bother you comment below so if you're a person who's used to having a voice if you're a person who's used to having an opinion um, and being heard then perhaps i would just encourage you to listen the most and if you are reading someone else's phrase or text or scripture passage that really makes them feel uncomfortable it makes them feel unsafe you don't have to give your opinion (laughs) which maybe that's a very uh is that an unindividualistic un-american thing to say that you don't actually have to give your opinion Um, you are allowed to disagree we are allowed to have if I this passage bothers me but it doesn't bother someone else and they see it differently that's totally fine because we as a community are presenting readings of scripture. So if you feel comfortable and you have something that popped into your mind that has bothered you or has been used to discriminate against you or against someone you love, um, or you've watched scriptures being used in a harmful way, I encourage you to comment below. Um, I, I'm not going to comment and like have an answer for all of your and be like, you comment a verse and then I'll be like, oh, all right, well, let me explain that to you so that it won't bother you anymore. I'm not going to do that, but perhaps maybe in the future, we can address some of those together as a faith community and kind of see where we can participate in this midrash and, and go from here and still preserve our faith and transform it into a life giving reading. So <laughs> if you feel comfortable, definitely comment below. I'll be there to interact with you as well. And, uh, this wasn't really the way I was planning to go <laughs> with this sermon. I just, when I sat down to write, I kind of paused on that line and then it wouldn't let me go for hours and days and I just kept reflecting and thinking about it and perhaps this is what you needed to hear. Perhaps you need to hear that you can have this conversation with the Bible and that it is okay and your faith will not be questioned if parts of the Bible upset you. And perhaps the spirit of God just leads us down surprising paths sometimes, but perhaps this is resurrection too. And this is where I kind of want to end on is when we think about resurrection, we always stop at Jesus, or maybe we think when we die at some point, we're going to be resurrected. But what if the resurrection that is happening that is growing like a seed is actually something that can apply to our reading of the Bible and our interaction with the sacred text. What if our sacred text grows and just like that seed of hope, what if we can resurrect how we understand the Bible? What if there is new life that can be put into these old, dead, harmful places in the Bible? Just as Ezekiel in the Dry Bones a few weeks ago, just as Jeremiah from last week saw a new life springing forward and God reinvigorating and reimagining what Jerusalem would be, what if we could reimagine how the Bible has been used to harm people and instead? move forward into a place where it gives life. That is resurrection too. When every day we're born again, and our relationship with God grows, and our relationship with other people grow, and our relationship with our sacred text grows as well. So here we are. (laughs) Maybe, perhaps, this week was not any better than last week for you. Uh, Maybe it was worse. (laughs) There's still so much uncertainty, so much confusion, so much to worry about. But I just want to leave you with this. In the words of Rupi Kaur, who is uh, an Indian-Canadian poet, here you are living despite it all. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. No matter what is going on in your life, in your job, in your family, in your relationships, in your finances, in your health, the world is upside down. But here you are living despite it all. And so we are going to close together with a benediction, this blessing and prayer for us this week. And then we will go forth. (laughs) Not very far, perhaps. Perhaps we'll just go from our couch to our kitchen. Who knows? Uh, But we'll go forth towards our week, maybe with a little bit resolve and a little bit of a tiny seed of hope of the resurrection. So let us pray. Like the disciples, reeling from the painful events around them, we do not know with certainty what lies ahead, but we do know this, God remains with us. We remain a community together. The witness of the saints remains to guide us. Spirit of God, come. Breathe fresh on your people. Let courage be renewed and hope revived. The presence of Christ rises again wherever healing is sought and we are seeking healing. There is a hope that does not minimize pain, but honors it because your spirit is there. This hope does not erase the violence of the past, but it will transform our future. This hope is not afraid of the wounds that have been done, but builds a community that can rise in the middle of them. In the company of the Spirit of God, let us go and live what we believe this week, the love the grace and the resurrection of our souls amen and amen happy sunday i hope you have the best week um, or at least i hope that you have some time to grow and explore faith this week even if it's not the best that you will have some time to rest and breathe and rely on the spirit of god We will see you next week for the next different church service. Same time, same place. Bye, friends.